What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Lockdown Blazers, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today is yet another installment of the Lockdown Blazers Countdown to Trading Camp. We're dedicating a full episode to every player on the roster and giving you a brief but thorough look at what they'll bring to the Blazers this season. We'll look at how they performed last year, discuss how they wound up on the Blazers, we'll talk best case and worst case scenarios for the upcoming season, and finish the episode off with a discussion of expectations and likely role on the team. This is our 13th installment of The Countdown. So if you've missed any, check your podcast feed and start catching up today. We are less than a week away from training camp, and you've got uh, 13 episodes, 13 player capsules to catch up on if you haven't started. Today, it's all about Scalabissier, who was, in fact, on the Blazers last season. Seriously. Let's talk about it. Scal didn't start on the Blazers, of course. Started with the Sacramento Kings, the team that drafted him late in the first round. Of the 2016 NBA draft. But even if he had been a king for two plus seasons, he didn't get a lot of chances in Sacramento this year. He played in 13 games, averaged 2.8 points, 1.8 rebounds with the Kings in about 8.7 minutes a night. He was basically the 11th or 12th man for the Kings. He only really played in blowouts or during those stretches where Dave Yeager was running out all 13 dudes just because there were 13 dudes with uniforms on the bench and you might as well let all of them play when you're kind of trying to figure out what works with your roster. Scal only played double-figured, double-digit minutes three times with the Kings. Twice when Marvin Bagley was out and the Kings needed an extra big man off the bench, and once when Sacramento was down 31 at halftime against the Rockets and Jaeger gave five forward types at least 12 minutes in an effort to find anything, anything, anything that would help slow down the Rockets, who had just dropped 76 in the first half. Other than that, the Kings, who've drafted roughly 4,000 big men over the past seven seasons, and still somehow signed Nemanja Bilica this offseason, last offseason, just didn't have a place for Scal in their plans. So they made a move with the Blazers, a deal with the Blazers, to ship Scal off. In one of those rare player-for-player deals that you don't see very often. On February 7th, the Kings traded Scal to Portland exchange for, yes, another big man, Caleb Swanigan. Scal was a member of the Blazers, like I said, but he wasn't a big member. He appeared in nine games, uh, averaged with the Blazers 3.4 points, 2.1 rebounds, and seven total minutes. But because of the weird way the Blazers' season ended... Game number nine is very different than the first eight. So in the first eight games with the Blazers, Scal averages 2.8 minutes per game and scored a total of two points. A total of two points in his first eight appearances with the Blazers. Before we get to his final regular season outing in Portland, and we will get there because it's that game 82 is going to live on for a long time. The other big moment for Scal in a Blazers uniform came on March 7th when Yusuf Nurkic got ejected after grabbing an offensive rebound with four seconds left, drawing a foul, and then kind of half headbutting, forehead, forehead leaning on Paul George and getting ejected. It was the second technical foul. You'll remember he got another technical foul for like sort of half 
trying to trip Russell Westbrook and failing, and then Westbrook chasing him down and flopping. Great moment. Great moment for Nurk. But he got ejected with two seconds left, and because Nurk got ejected uh, and was the foul shooter and he was leaving the game for non-injury reasons, it meant that Oklahoma City coach Billy Donovan got to pick the foul shooter. With the Blazers down two, he looked down at the end of the bench and said, how about Scal? Scal came in and clanged the first free throw, kind of like a guy who'd been watching for roughly one entire season, and certainly like a guy who'd been watching the game for the first 47 minutes and 58 seconds. But then, game on the line, down two, Scal stepped up to the line and softly and intentionally missed a free throw, allowing Alfaro Camino to grab the rebound in a crowd and get an incredibly kind whistle that allowed him to go to the free throw line, make two free throws, and send the game to OT. The Blazers lost in that game in overtime. They lost all four in the regular season OKC, and that one was no different. But Scal, for a short and strange moment, delivered in an uncommon way. And prior to the final game of the season, which we'll get to next, this was easily his most memorable moment in a Blazer uniform. It was missing two free throws. One of them a bad miss, one of them a great one. All right, let's move on to that ninth appearance, which was comically epic. A game that, I, like I said, we'll remember for a long, long time. In game 82 of the regular season, the Blazers chose to rest all but six players on the roster. They did this for a variety of reasons, depending on who you ask. But if you ask me, it's because they wanted to lose the game. So they put six dudes on the court. One of those six dudes was Scal. And Scalabus here delivered. 29 points, 15 rebounds, 12 of 17 from the floor, 2 of 2 from the three-point line. He had 15 and 11 after halftime in the second half to fuel that comeback. For those of you scoring at home, it means he had a really good first half too, 14 and 4. But the Blazers were down huge at halftime, 28 just before halftime, 25 at the break. And while Anthony Simons stole the show with a few monster buckets in the fourth quarter, Scow was the Blazers' second best player during that bizarre game. And it was kind of a league-altering surge, and Scow has his moment in that sort of league-altering surge. Um, I've recapped this before, but I'll do it again because it's one of my favorite Blazer moments. The Blazers come back and beat the Kings. They earn the three seed. So then they play OKC. They get OKC out the paint, beat them in five games in the first round of the playoffs, but because the Blazers were the three seed, the Houston Rockets dropped to fourth, they had to, uh, they ended up on the same side of the bracket as the Golden State Warriors, got bounced before the Western Conference Finals, and then a series of domino effects happened. OKC decides to break up the roster, trading away Paul George and Russell Westbrook. Uh, Houston, perhaps more likely with out a trip to the Western Conference Finals in a second round exit, decides that they're willing to get it on the Russell Westbrook stuff and ship away CP3 and send him off. In addition, Neil Olshay gets extended. That might have happened anyways, but the Blazers reach the Western Conference Finals and all of a sudden they're all in chasing a championship. Maybe in part because of the way the bracket shook out and the way that Scalabissier played in Game 82 where he made six of eight shots during the second half. When the Blazers came charging back, he had a dunk to cut the lead, or cut the deficit to two, and then in the waning seconds, another bucket inside to put the Blazers back up four. Game 82 against the Kings bench probably shifted the course of the league for a long, long time. And by long, long, I mean in like the standard of NBA world. 
Two years. Scal gave us a league-altering performance. Legacy-altering performance. But that was all about all he did for the Blazers. But what I want to talk about in the next segment is, in his first full season in town, what can... What are reasonable expectations for his best case scenario in his first full year and his worst case scenario? That's what we'll talk about next. But first, I want to tell you guys about DoorDash. Long day at work? Still stuck in the office? Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, my listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code LOCKEDON. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, LOCKEDON, on the DoorDash app. Get yourself some discounted food, y'all. Okay, we talked Scalabissier's 2018-19 season in review, one in which he appeared in 22 games. So what we do in the second segment here of these player previews is we talk best case and worst case scenarios. And it's important to note here that these are the best case scenarios within reason and the worst case scenarios without injury. We are not talking uh, wild best case scenarios. We're trying to keep them as reasonable as possible as they pertain to a specific player. And we're not talking about injuries because we're talking about what happens on the basketball court. So with that said, what's the best case scenario for Scal? Simply put, I think the best case scenario is that he's a viable option. That Scalabissier, in the best case scenario, makes Terry Stotts have difficult decisions on who he's going to play in the front court. Because Scal's good enough and has enough outside shooting touch, enough pick and pop ability, and enough length to be a four or a five. It makes Terry Stotts, when he looks down the bench, says, should it be Pau Gasol? Should it be Anthony Tolliver? Oh, what about Scal? The best case scenario is that Scal earns that playing time and that he's part of the rotation because he deserves it. He either wins it in practice or when he gets a small cameo early in the season, he proves he belongs on the court. If you listen to Damian Lillard, there's been moments in practice and when they're doing things when he said Scal can really play. Players usually know first. Uh, They sometimes tend to overrate their teammates, but they certainly know before people like me and unless you're a longtime Scal truther, probably before you too. So the best case for Scalabus here is that Dame Lord's right, is that he can play. And he becomes a viable part of that 9 or 10 man rotation as a regular big off the bench, playing 12, 15, 16 minutes a night, and being a useful player on both ends of the court. He's big enough to play 5, but this team has more holes at 4. So I think the best case scenario for Scalabus here is that he really is an option to play power forward and that he's a backup big that can give Zach Collins a chance to rest, give Zach Collins a chance to not have to have to have to play 35 minutes every night and provide a a different look, something that we they sort of haven't seen. The other power forward options, Anthony Tolliver is a true specialist, or if you're going a little bit smaller, it's uh, Mario Hazonia, who's kind of a, a true small ball four and not a true four at all. So, What Scout would give them is a real power forward, someone real, quote-unquote, is a power forward who can play in the post, a guy who can score inside, has a little touch outside, and is big along the front line. It would allow the Blazers to stay big. They're going to start the season with two seven-footers in there, and if Scout pops, they could play all 48 minutes with two seven-footers on the floor at all time. The best case for Scout is that 
when we look back on his first full season with the Blazers, the things you'd remember aren't the time he missed a free throw and the time the Kings rested everyone he got to dominate. You remember real moments. You remember times he contributed to meaningful wins. The best case for Scalabissier is that you see his jersey. A handful of fans have reason to buy it. And things like that. The best case is that he's part of the plan. Which means the worst case scenario for Scal is that he's not part of the plan. And he spends another year, his fourth in the league, watching. The worst case is that Pau Gasol is clearly a better option. Anthony Tolliver is a better fit. And Scal just can't jump ahead of either of them in the pecking order. And that leaves him buried on the bench. The worst case is that when they're making decisions on who's going to dress out, who's going to wear a suit, who's going to wear a jersey, that Scal's name is in the consideration. The worst case scenario is that you don't have a memory of Scal this season. And that, remember that time he had 29-15 against the Kings, is the thing that really sticks out for his entire Blazers tenure. The worst case for Scalabissier, unfortunately for him, looks a lot like last season. When he was an afterthought for the Kings, traded away, and then mostly an afterthought in insurance policy for the Blazers. The worst case for Scal is that he remains an insurance policy. He remains someone that fills in the back of the death chart, is the right size in case someone gets hurt or someone is ineffective. But he's never anything more than that. He's not a contributor. He's not even a a third string power forward. He's just a big dude on the end of the bench who's helpful in practice when guarding other big dudes and doesn't do much else. The worst case for Scalabissier is that this season in Portland is his last real shot in the NBA and he never really gets that shot. So now we've reached what I affectionately call caveat corner. Most of the guys on this roster are likely to fall somewhere in between their best case and worst case scenarios. So for Scal, that would mean that he's not a regular rotation contributor at any point. He never kind of earns his way into that, into that top nine, top 10, but that he's not just a total and complete afterthought that he's somewhere in the middle. And I think that's the most, the most fair assessment. And I'll talk about that more in the third segment, but, uh, I think a lot of these guys, when I'm doing these best case, worst case scenarios and laying them out for these segments is that I, I tend to think that they're, that they're kind of leaning one direction. If I had to guess, Scal leans more towards his worst case scenario where he doesn't get many chances and he doesn't, he doesn't get that many opportunities unless there's uh, some health issues in front of him. And I mean that only because of how the Blazers sort of intentionally crafted the roster ahead of him. They've added two veterans, the type of guys who you know can be ready and play small doses like Pau Gasol and Anthony Tolliver, guys who are, particularly Tolliver, someone who's really used to being a role player. And Pau, who's not used to being a role player, but knows that at age 39 he's going to play limited minutes off the bench, but it also has an expectation to play minutes. So I think if you're guessing, Scal ends up more towards that worst case scenario where he's an insurance policy more than anything else. But I want to expand on that. That's just my caveat saying that uh, the polls are, the worst case and best case scenario are the polls. 
almost everyone is likely to land somewhere in between those two poles. But I want to talk about reasonable expectations. What we, I kind of gave you best case, worst case. I want to talk about actual case, what I think is actually going to happen with Scal this season. So that's what we'll talk about in the third segment. Okay, still Mike Richmond, still locked on Blazers, still a pass for his point guard, and it's still all about Scalabissier. So we reviewed Scal's season, but there's an important point I'd like to make about Scal's season. He didn't go to Summer League. Now, he's young. He's not yet 24. And while that might be a little old for the summer league circuit for guys who have NBA contracts. It's certainly on the very old end. It wouldn't have been a shocking turn of events if Scal, because he hadn't played in the Blazers system, either they asked him to go and played in limited minutes um, or just included him in the summer league plans because he's kind of, he was kind of that end of the bench type player who would maybe could be served by spending a lot of time by the development staff. And I think Scal went into the offseason planning to be part of that group. Maybe not planning to play a bunch of minutes in Summer League, but certainly planning to come to those training camps, go down to Vegas with the team and work out and do all the things that young developing players still do, even guys who are 24 years old. But the Blazers told him to stay home. Or at least that he didn't they didn't want him to participate in Summer League. And so there's two reads on that, and I tend to read the more generous one. The less generous read is that they didn't think he'd get much better. He is what he is, fully formed, and they owe Jarnell Stokes' agent or whatever a favor, so they're not going to steal minutes away from him. The more generous read is that they thought Scal was a little too good for Summer League and that what he needed to work on were sort of individual skill type stuff and not just what Summer League is, which is just sort of kind of a chance to play somewhat organized basketball in front of a coaching staff. So that brings me to reasonable expectations for this season. I think at the beginning of the year, Scal is on the outside of the rotation pretty pretty, pretty deep. I've laid out who I think uh, the rotation is, but I'll do it again for your sake in case you're, you're catching up here. Every Lockdown Blazers is someone's first Lockdown Blazers, and I appreciate it. So it's going to be Dame, CJ, Rodney Hood, Zach Collins, and Hassan Whiteside, your starting five. I think your locks to come off the bench are Anthony Simons, Kent Bazemore, and Pau Gasol. Then I think there's a question mark on who plays backup power forward. I think it's Anthony Tolliver. I think it might be Mario Hazonia. I think they would lean that way. We'll see. Um, it's It wouldn't be the first time that I've kind of tried to guess what Terry Stotts is going to do with that type of ninth man, and he does something that I didn't see coming. There's an outside chance that Stotts plays 10 guys and both Hazonia and Tolliver play. Although I think that's relatively unlikely. But that means, at least from where I'm sitting here, that to start the season, Scal doesn't have a role. Is that maybe he, in camp, can compete for that backup power forward spot, backup big man spot, but he won't necessarily, or I don't believe he will have that role coming out of camp. I don't think he'll start the season in the rotation. I think it's reasonable to expect the Blazers might roll him out a handful of times during the year to see what he can do, just because they're thin in the front court. Behind Zach Collins, they don't have a ton of options. Pau Gasol's 39, coming off foot surgery. There might be times when they need a backup center. He's that guy. But I think for the most part, his role for the entire season is third center and third power forward. And that 
he is kind of stuck on the outside. That's the reality. Now, maybe there's some upside to adding a guy like Scal. His um, he's he's probably has a skill set that the other bigs don't have. He's more athletic than uh, Powell. Certainly, he's got more range than Hassan Whiteside. He also has real deficiencies that those guys don't bring. He's not neither defender Whiteside is. He's not nearly as skilled in other parts of his offensive game as Powell is. But like I mentioned before, he's not a specialist like uh, Tolliver, which if you're playing backup power forward, you'd almost rather have that one elite skill than like an amorphous collection of okay skills. But I think Scal is better than having a backup center who's a yet another veteran, a third string center who's yet another veteran. He's kind of a an unknown in some ways, even though he's played a bunch of, or at least he's been in the league for a while. He still remains an unknown and sort of like a, a what could he bring to the Blazers. But if you're talking about reasonable expectations and most likely role for him, he's a third stringer. He's an insurance policy. And he's an intriguing insurance policy because 25 and 19 or whatever he had, 29 and 15 against the Kings, it, it suggests that he could be a useful player to some extent. Now, he was on the court when they were down 28 against the Kings starters, so maybe not that useful. But you get the point. He has some intrigue. And I think the Blazers will give him a chance because the they aren't super deep, particularly at power forward. So there might be a couple nights where you see what Scal can do. Because there just aren't a ton of other options. But I don't think he'll be a regular part of the rotation. And I tend to think if he is a regular part of the rotation, it's either because he's taken a miraculous step forward that I didn't see coming or because something has gone wrong for the Blazers. All right, y'all. We got one of these player previews left. If you're smart and you've been following along, you know who it is. If you don't, I'll give you a hint. It's the dude who raps and plays point guard. And then... After that, we're talking real basketball stuff. No more player profiles. We're talking news, press conferences, people talking to the media. All those types of things. Blazers training camp opens on, or Blazers media day is September 30th. Training camp opens on October 1st. First preseason game is October 3rd. We are so close. Less than a month away from regular season basketball. Less than a week away from the Blazers practicing in some sort of organized and uh manner in which you can be fined for not attending that's the big difference in preseason and pre-preseason that means we got more lockdown blazers coming that means you should tell your friends about this podcast because basketball season's ramping up they're going to be getting excited about the nba so share something you like about the nba with them tell them they can find lockdown blazers on google podcasts apple podcasts stitcher and spotify i really appreciate you listening I will talk to you guys soon.